ever wondered when history starts? Some people will argue that it started when writing started. You could make the case that before writing started, it was not really history, but something called prehistory. So the domain of archaeology and anthropology, that's what prehistory is. Other people may argue that no, history starts when God or the Big Bang or whatever creation myth that you believe in happened. Some still may argue that further, history begins when history as a discipline, as a study, begins and humans ultimately when they started recording historical stuff. Then again, some may contend that history is mostly stories, fibs, lies, and it's all made up anyway. So if you want real info, then these stories are not truth bombs, but just great historical fiction with some doses of high-level facts thrown in. Then again, yet others will contend that history starts at different times for different geographical areas. Australia versus, say, Iraq. Then again, that is complicated by who you may be ethnically, linguistically, and spiritually. History, for some, is thousands of years old. Others, just hundreds of years old. Then there are those for whom history is lost. Peoples are lost and they're forever missing. We never knew they existed and never will. And of course, when we talk history, we only talk about human history. We tend not to bother with the history of the rabbit or the bear. So the question is harder to answer than it appears. Maybe we should be asking two different questions to answer this one question. Number one, when does politics end? And number two, does history begin when politics ends? So history does not maybe start with a Big Bang, God, or writing. But if we assume that the tide of historical time runs backwards, then the start of history is technically now, right? Right now. Okay, I go back to what I alluded to a bit ago. When asked, when does history begin? Most people assume that it's the standard 5,000 or 7,000 years ago in modern Iraq, Egypt, Anatolia, the Levant, India, or China. There may be an argument for intelligent civilization before that time frame, but let's stick with 5,000 years ago for now. All right, so if history begins really, or technically, when politics or emotions end, then history ends when the stories end. And we can assume stories or before written stories, i.e. oral, or stuff using archaeological evidence and anthropological evidence, we could try putting these together to create historical pasts. All of this sounds a bit nuanced and a bit mishmashed. Now bear with me, because it is nuanced and it is a bit mishmashed. Again, let me repeat. History goes backwards. It goes in a backwards direction. Anything gone, including me just saying these words a few seconds ago, is now history. It's in memory. So history is created technically every single second. But when does politics end? It's 2022 right now. Is 2022 history? Even though technically 2022 is the current year as I narrate this episode to you, there is history made in this year. Like there is history whenever you listen to me. 
be it 2023, 2024, 2030, or whenever. However, history, objective history, is clouded by current politics, events, and it would be hard for contemporary historians to give unbiased outcomes. We all have our biases. We have our biases even on really ancient events, let alone events that happened six hours ago. So with that said, is the COVID pandemic politics or history? What about the U.S. invasion and occupation of Iraq, Afghanistan, the collapse of the USSR, the U.S. invasion of Grenada or the Soviet invasion of Hungary, the independence of India, the world wars, the Russian Revolution, the Franco-Prussian War, the Communist Manifesto, East India Company, Edo Japan, Mughal India, the fall of Constantinople, Roman Britain, Ramesses II, the Akkadian Empire. At some point, politics technically, hopefully, could turn to history. The answer, however, is not so simple. Britons may see empire, their empire, the British Empire, as history. Many from those countries who were in the empire but are free now may see colonial imperialism as still relevant. Americans may see the Korean War as over. Koreans see it technically on the DMZ every single day. The Communist Manifesto was in 1848, but remains a political hot potato even in 2022. Many Indians think Mughal India was a bad thing for India. Others reckon it was a great thing. But could Ramesses II maybe be less relevant and maybe so the Akkadian Empire too? Perhaps enough time has passed, or we are all too removed from those events, enough to be more objective. Maybe you are a European and you take on Malaysian history, and Malaysian history is completely objective for you. Maybe you are Malay and you take on European history and keep it objective too. If you're looking for a date from me that I have in mind when technically I think going backwards history might start, I'm not going to say or give you a date. I don't think that's the way to look at it. Hitler may be relevant today, for instance, but in 2986, he might not be. He may be in the same category by then as Genghis Khan. Maybe we are still too close to 1945 to have that classed as history, just like colonial Asia, colonial Africa and Latin America remember European rule. So do the Europeans remember the 1914 to 1945 period of the two world wars and the Holocaust. Perhaps we ought to look at each of these things in turn and by specific topic. Maybe that's the way to think about things. 100 years ago, it's 1922, and it seems long ago enough to be history, yet politics of the 1920s remains relevant in the 2020s. The debacle of the German economy and the resulting rise of Nazi Germany in the mid-1930s. That happened 100 years ago. Even European colonial imperialism was around 100 years ago. And that, by the way, is a long time ago. But if you think about it, many of the countries that got independence from European powers happened in the 1960s, 1970s, and some even as late as the 1980s. 100 years is simply too recent. In my mind, even 200 years is pretty recent. 
the Americans still celebrate their independence day, and that was all those years ago. The Treaty of Westphalia in the mid-1600s is considered still relevant today in terms of how it set about diplomatic norms. Since history is so interconnected and one thing leads to another, we can keep going back. If you think about religion, then those traditions carry forward or even backwards yet more. However, I don't want to skirt the question, when does history begin? Well, let's start with ancient Egypt's most controversial, the pharaoh Akhenhaut, who wanted to upend Egyptian tradition, religion, and history by his sole focus on the Aten. Now, I am personally very removed from Akhenaten. The impact of the politics and even its aftermath, I'm removed from all of that. It's too far in the past for my, and I will repeat, my mind to feel political about it. I can choose to throw some ideas out by suggesting that maybe some tribes copied the idea and maybe from there Judaism was one of the outcomes. It's tempting to go down that road, isn't it? But I'm, of course, speculating, and though fun, it keeps me quite distant from those events. And this was back in the 1350s, 1340s, and 1330s, B.C., not even A.D., B.C. That's thousands of years ago. Thousands of years have passed. I'm not even of Egyptian extraction, and I don't civilizationally belong to that history. Likewise, for the Punic Wars between Carthage and Rome, or the collapse of the Roman Republic, to me, these events are great histories. They are, to me, not politics. I'm about to get even more wishy-washy. So let's talk about Jesus. Now, he was around a mildly long time ago, not as long as the Egyptian dynasties or the Babylonians, but reasonably longish ago. Jesus, who was born and lived and died a Jew, inadvertently started a religion that after his passing had a belief system created in the Roman Empire, then pushed out after the fall of the Roman Empire in the western side of Europe and the orthodox Byzantine eastern side. If you're a Christian, then it's relevant to you now. Jesus, plus the whatever church, Coptic, or whatever you are part of, is relevant. It's relevant to you. The Bible, the cross, the worship, it all clicks. If you are not Christian, again, it's still quite relevant because Christian missionary zeal rampaged across the Americas, Africa, Asia, and Australia, and cultural Christian norms were spread and mildly adopted across everywhere Europeans went. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they're all politics today. In fact, all religions are politics today. The history works in tandem with the politics. So it's unlike something like the old Akkadian Empire or the religion of the Akkadian Empire because those beliefs don't exist today. That all said, I am agnostic. Or if I'm a Hindu and I'm in India and my cultural exchange is limited to, say, India only, then my interaction with the Jesus myth is minor. But I still may be influenced by cultural Christianity. Likewise, the other way around too. You could have Hindu norms or Indian norms pushed out into the Christian world. 
Yoga is one such example. Now, so far, we've looked at ancient Egypt and a few other ancients, including the Jesus myth. But now for something completely different. Do you know who Lalu Prasad Yadav is? I'm going to assume most of you do not know. Unless, of course, you're familiar with 1990s and 2000s politics of the state of Bihar in India. Lalu, in my opinion, was the most successfully corrupt politician in modern Indian history. His name and that of his wife, Rabri Devi, became infamous with the state of affairs in Bihar during the 90s and 2000s. Ultimately, it was a blot on the social fabric of 80 million Biharis and a further 30 million people from the neighboring state of Jharkhand. So his policies and behavior impacted over 100 million people and not that long ago. And he is, and she was, a historically significant figure. They're both alive in 2022, by the way. However, the likelihood that this is of any significant consequence to people in Dubai, Rio, or Cape Town is zero. And right there, I've made a judgment call because it's so recent and I'm so familiar with the story that I mentioned that it was a blot on the social fabric of 80 million Biharis and a further 30 million people from the neighboring state of Jharkhand. That was my bias. So there's an example right there. Now, that's also different for other people. If you're thinking politics, because it's so recent, he was and she was, they were both elected not once, not twice, but the rice, and ruled the state for 15 years between those. Someone like me may not like them, but someone else might. And that's the point of emotive politics. In case you're wondering, though, he was elected chief minister. Policies brought in lawlessness, including violent gang crime. He allowed for a literally flourishing kidnapping industry, so mature that the kidnapped had the option of anything like a five-star or a one-star facility to be kidnapped in. And that's not all. He was implicated in multiple corruption cases, including the 1996 Fodder scam, where close to 4 billion rupees were siphoned from the state government. By the way, the photo scam was where he basically casually took money from the animal husbandry department of the government and had no less than six court cases against him. All to say that for someone in Berlin, this history is useless. If never told, it never happened. So it never started or ended, and it never began. And history is like that for everyone. How many people know about the debates surrounding the King of Mali, Master Musa II? He was a documented figure. Likewise, how many Malians and Biharis know about Francis Drake, who was an English pirate? I might even argue that many Indonesians, Indians, and Chinese don't know Christopher Columbus. Who was the chap that ultimately, supposedly, discovered the Americas, or more to the point, was the Catholic chap who stumbled onto some islands now considered the West Indies while looking for the Far East, sometimes known as the East Indies. Yet, in the Americas, it's a big deal. The entire Americas, 
would be populated and run by random Aztecs, Inca, and Cherokee tribe types had the Catholics not come along and brought about civilization to the masses. The Canadians even named an entire province after him, British Columbia. Forget that. There's a whole country called Colombia in South America. But a Bihari, well aware of Lalu, may have zero understanding of this Columbus fellow. Now, so far, all I've done is explain the extreme complications of when history starts, because it may well depend on not just when history starts for a period of going back in time, but also a social awareness and understanding, social context. It's very easy to assume that everyone comes from your own cultural and civilizational background, but that is not the case. A hero in one place or a history in one place or a story in one place means absolutely nothing or even the complete opposite to another. Pure geniuses such as me or you may know that Masa Musa II was the richest leader in the history of humans ever. Most people don't, and that's okay. When we talk about when history starts, we also have to factor in our own gaps, our own knowledge, our own understanding, because ultimately we, me included, and you are too lazy, thick, stupid, and downright egotistical to know everything. An Indian not knowing about Shivaji or Ashoka or Gandhi is one thing, but an Indian not knowing Francis Drake is another. Francis Drake is irrelevant to Indian history. All to say that context trumps timeline. And I feel like I'm still skirting the question, but I'm not. I'm just trying my best to confuse you and walk you down a path that leads to nowhere. And that's the point. History starts when politics ends. Or do you have that third eye or the third point of view to rely on. A random person from, say, Scotland might have an objective view of Lalu Yadav, even though for most Indians he remains an emotive political figure. Likewise, someone from South Africa may have a less emotive discussion on the troubles in Northern Ireland back in the 1900s. The trick is to take the politics out of the decision making process when you cannot, like if you are from the UK and you're talking about Brexit then you know it's still politics. History, as with anything, I suppose, can, in other words, it can start right now. Right now. If you can take the emotions and other politics out of the equations. Let's take Churchill, for example. You know, the big guy. That Winston Churchill. There will be a lot of people who I assume don't know of him or care about, about him. But he's known in the entire Anglosphere, Europe, and across many former British colonies. That's a lot of people. And with that, a lot of people have varying degrees of opinions on his legacy. Back in episode 92, the one on appeasement, I mentioned how he shaped the narrative about the appeasement era in the late 1930s. But did anyone know that he was a sidelined maverick in the 1920s and 1930s? Sidelined for politics at Westminster because he screwed up some battles during the First World War. He also lost the 1945 general election, lost it in a landslide, no less, in 1945, no less. That's Churchill in domestic politics. 
Of course, he's seen as a hero in the UK and beyond. They gave him a state funeral after all. A reserve trusted only for monarchs. How is Churchill seen in India or the US? In the US, many US presidents look up to him and even have a bust of Sir Winston in the White House. In India, he's seen by very many as an imperialist warmonger responsible personally for the Bengal famine that killed millions. So you see how personality can be clouded. Ask yourself though, would that same personality and that same cloud be applied to people like, say, Chairman Mao, Stalin, Hitler, or even the two Bush presidents in the US? They were all responsible for multiple deaths and destruction. But what if we dial back even further and we look at someone like the Emperor Ashoka? This was a few centuries before Jesus in India. The Mauryan Emperor is widely believed to have promoted Buddhism throughout the empire that in those days extended all over modern India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Bangladesh. Massive. But it also is widely believed that he ordered the massacres of civilians as well as soldiers in lands that his empire would ultimately occupy. This is a matter of debate, and we don't have enough evidence to decide. So if you're looking at this as a starter, then maybe you think, oh, interesting. And then maybe you think about it as a third eye perspective. But as you dig into the story and you scratch beneath the surface, you can have a more biased view. And I reckon that that is a good history lesson. You should be able to start unbiased, but as you look into it, you want to make your own mind up. What actually happened? So the Ashoka story can then turn into history and back into politics to make it real and make it alive and make it interesting for people. Okay, okay, I know I'm still skirting the question, but you can see why it's so hard to decide. It's hard because the entire point of history is to start open-minded and then go and form an opinion. The point of politics and emotive stories are that you start with your own opinions and end with your own opinions. For someone born in 2003 or 2008, the Iraq war was waged by Bush Jr. and was maybe a historical event when they looked at it in school. A child born in 2030 studying the war in 2045 by then may also think of it as a historical event. But for me, it was very real. I lived through it and remembered the outright lies the Blair government told to get involved in Bush's very brutal war. But I can tell my children my views, and they might tell their children my views. That gives us humans the ability to have long memories. Which brings me on to my next point. Some people do have long memories, and they have it to this day. Do you think Jews forget the Holocaust? Not only do they not forget the Holocaust, they recall what happened to them before the Holocaust the anti-Semitism by the Christians in Europe for centuries. See what I just did there? They never forget. Of course, they are remembering institutional memories, since most Jews today are unlikely to have been alive in the 1930s and 1940s, certainly not before that time. But people can have long memories. India, Pakistan. 
collective West versus Russia, Palestinians and Israelis, North Korea, South Korea, and these are just recent ones. The Armenians still have beef about the genocide that they blame on the Turks. The Indians, many, still detest the Mughal Emperor Aurangzeb. I mean, even the English always hark back to the 1066 Norman invasion. Institutional knowledge of memory clouds judgment and turns what may be history into emotive politics. So, in conclusion, I reckon history starts right now. If you can take your biases off the table, then once you do that, maybe you can do whatever analysis you want and then you can give a point of view. After all, history is and was never about facts. It's all about tales and stories mixed in what we think is probably some element of truth. So my suggestion is that ultimately you look at history objectively, as objectively as you possibly can, understanding your biases from where you are or where you sit. And then once you've taken the biases off the table to look at it objectively, and once you've taken those objective lessons to then come to a conclusion that may be different to the biases that you started off with. Anyhow, thank you once again for taking the time to listen in. All the best. Until next time. Cheerio. Thank you.